You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. You can find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Is that on? Oh, yes. It's always a miracle. Just a miracle. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Jack Deach, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. But the privilege, even more than that, is to serve with Bob and Josh. And just to have them to have the opportunity to go to the pastor's con- conference with their wives and enjoy that. I've been there many times, and it is just outstanding to be able to go and fellowship with others and to enjoy that process. And I really thank the Lord for bringing them back and not leaving me here alone with you guys. Every now and then I get the opportunity to preach. I think it's a uh, requisite. I told those guys when I said, yes, I'll be a bivocational elder, but you guys can do the preaching. Uh, Nevertheless, here I am. And so it's a joy to prepare for that. I think that's the thing about preaching. It is such a joy to prepare. The Lord meets you and... Oh, he's so gracious and so good in preparing. So we're continuing in a series through Luke, and we're in the last part of the 10th chapter of Luke. And so if you have a Bible, if you'd open it to that, the 10th chapter is just going to be a few verses, five verses. But they are very powerful verses. So... This is God's word. He's been so gracious to give it to us. It's authoritative. He's speaking to us through his word. Starting in verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Mary was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. I can hear him. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Pray with me. Father, as we've opened your word, we ask you to speak to us in our mind and in our heart that you might become even more glorious to us through the preaching of your word. Father, I pray that you would use your words gently at the appropriate time and forcefully at the appropriate time, that you might get our attention and that you might reveal your glory to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. And... It's, one, it's the only holiday that I can think of that's based upon thankfulness. 
You know, we as a, as a country began to celebrate this not that long ago, about 100 years ago. And we set that as a, a day to set aside a thankfulness. And that, that, that day, that holiday, sprang out of a thankfulness that the early Americans had for how God had blessed their life and protected them and taken care of them and provided for them. And so the, the whole holiday is about thankfulness. And it has morphed into um, a very interesting time. I love the aspect of family. I remember growing up in Chicago, having an extended family in Chicago, and we would get together with the grandparents and the cousins and the aunts and uncles and have a feast, and it was just a delightful time, and that memory is stuck there. We still have some of those memories to make. As our family has grown, Debbie and my family is, we, we now have 11 grandkids. Oh, we're so blessed. And there's a great deal of thankfulness to the Lord for that. I love the hospitality. I love the gathering. I love that part of it. You know what I've also noticed through the years is that some people hate it. They hate that gathering. They hate coming together. You know why they hate coming together? Because their relationships are so strained. They really are. And this is a little bit about that today. This passage is, is very much like a one-act play, albeit a very quick one. There's three players, Jesus, Martha, and Mary. And the scene all takes place in, Mary, in Martha's home. We're not exactly sure when this was. Here's what we do know. If we look back to Luke 9:51, it says that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. So Jesus was on a mission, and he's headed toward Jerusalem for what he knows is going to have to take place. And on his way, he stops at this village of Bethany. Bethany is not far from Jerusalem. If you've ever been to, to Israel, you'll, you'll see that. You, go, you have Jerusalem, you have the Kidron Valley, you have the Mount of Olives where Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and just the other side is Bethany, no more than two miles from Jerusalem. And this is where Martha and Mary lived. The passage reveals two ways that we, that we can respond to Jesus' presence in our lives. Joseph, see that slide, brother. Two pa this passage reveals two ways we can respond to Jesus' presence. The first one is we can be distracted in service to the master. And the second is we can be desperate for the master's presence. Mm -hmm. So what's the scene? The scene is Jesus is stopping in a village where his friends live and he's invited to come into their home. We might suspect that he was tired from journeying, likely hungry, likely ready for a rest. 
This would be such a welcome respite. Good friends, good food, good rest. Martha had the home and welcomed him in. What an honor it must have been for her. What a privilege to host the rabbi. What an opportunity to bless his life. The one who had blessed so many lives over the last many months. I'm sure she wanted things to be just right. She wanted him to be comfortable and cared for. It was the least she could do. I'm sure she just wanted to impress him. Mary, Martha's sister, also welcomed Jesus. We're told that she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. There we have it. The scene is set. The master's resting his weary legs, comfortably situated in Martha's home, naturally teaching those things to those who would listen, as he did. And then we have a simple little word, but Martha. Much is learned by that little qualifying word. As the hostess, she likely wanted things to be just right. Who knows whether she would have the opportunity to serve him again? Can you relate? Is this position so foreign to your experience? Recall your own opportunities. Maybe you, maybe your first visit with your in-laws for a meal at your newlywed apartment. What are your concerns? Is the roast going to be done? Are the potatoes cooked enough? Are the beans too salty? Do the forks go on the right and the knife and spoon on the left, or is it vice versa? Did you remember to put their picture on the entry table? Is it too warm? Is it too cold? Did I vacuum well enough? Are the windows clean? Is the toilet seat up or down? (laughs) See what I mean? There were concerns. Martha was distracted with much serving. She was distracted from listening to Jesus. As hard as she was working, she likely felt that something was missing and she needed help. She could not do all that she knew she needed to do to make it just perfect for him. And there was Mary, sitting and listening, seemingly oblivious to Martha's need. Not only was Martha distracted, but this led to self-pity. She must have thought, surely Jesus must be aware of what's happening. How could, how could he not be aware? Exasperated and frustrated, she questions his care for her. Lord, do you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Don't you even care? I'm toiling here for you. 
If you really care, do this. Tell her to help me. Can't you see that she's abandoned me? Out of her self-pity arose resentment. Wow. It'd be really easy for us to be hard on Martha. But let's look closely at her. What do we see about her? She opened her home to Jesus. Who knows how many of his traveling companions? She showed the hospitality that Jesus told the 72 to look for as they were sent out in the earlier part of the chapter. She had a heart for service with a desire to serve to the best of her ability. Those are good qualities. She was, that was commendable. Why did, how, where did that come from? It came from love. She had love. She was loving the Savior. However, she had some flaws. She presumed upon Jesus, telling just exactly what she thought he should do. Do we ever do that? Lord, do this for me, please. She knew that if Jesus told her sister to get up off the floor and help, that Mary would be glad to, comp- to, uh, to comply. We see this quality of presumption elsewhere. In John 11, 21 and 22, she was sure that Lazarus, her brother, Lazarus, her brother, who died, Lazarus, her brother, her brother who was Jesus' friend, She was sure that he would not have died if Jesus had just come sooner, and she resented that. On both of these occasions, she really questioned just how much did Jesus really care for her. Notice that Jesus responded to her question and demand not with the answer she was looking for, but with an observation. Sweetly and tenderly, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. He saw her real need. It was not needing more hands on deck, but her real need was that her heart was right. Can you see this in yourself? Today. Are you anxious and troubled about many things? Last Christmas, did something I'd never done before. It's a special occasion. The kids were coming over. We we're going to have Christmas dinner together, and we splurged on a prime rib. Oh my gosh! So good. So good. And I had never cooked a prime rib, ever. Oh, gosh, so I looked on YouTube. I tried to read up on it a little bit, tried to understand, how do you cook this thing and make it right? And Christmas morning, we had church here. And I had put that prime rib in the oven on the timer and left it there, ready to be cooked. And I know it was cooking because when we left the house, it was fine. Let me tell you that I was anxious about whether that prime rib would be dead. 
ready when we got home or whether it would be overcooked. I was unbelievably distracted. I could not tell you one thing about that service that day. When it was over, I don't think I spoke to anybody. I got out the door, went to the house, checked on the... You know what? It was fine. Anxious about many things. Maybe good things we're anxious about. How to care for your family. Situations at school or work. Health concerns that linger and that you can't control. How to do things right, but it just isn't coming together. Do you serve now, but with a degree of distraction? Is your heart cold toward the Lord? Is your heart cold toward others because you're so distracted in your serving? Is there self-pity? Do you find yourself feeling alone in service, resenting and comparing yourself to others? Let me just take an aside right now. And I'm going to speak for the whole pastoral staff here to say thank you for the way you serve. We are so blessed. This congregation is so blessed by your service to us, each one of us. Your service... In whatever that way, thank you so much, Mark, for leading us in worship this morning. Thank you so much, Laura, for teaching us the ch- teaching the children this morning. What a, what a labor of love, and we are so appreciative. You don't serve alone; we serve together. <clears throat> Jesus wanted to see her to see the one thing that was necessary. But she was unaware of the moment because of the distraction. Listen to verses 41 and 42 again. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. The second point of this passage is that Mary was absolutely desperate for the master's presence. The final actor in the scene is Mary. Notice that Mary was spoken of, was spoken about, but she doesn't say a word. Let's look at what we know about her. We know that Mary was Martha's sister. She lived there. She lived in her home. We also know that Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet and listen. So, what might we assume about her? Well, to give her the benefit of the doubt, she probably felt compelled to help Martha. She saw what was going on. She probably felt compelled. Now let me just take another step aside here. This is a big week. We're gonna, some of you are going to have holiday 
gathering together, look for opportunities to come alongside and help so that Marthas don't get exasperated. That's an aside. Surely Mary felt obligated to assist the the host, and surely she didn't want to disappoint her sister. So she had some compelling reasons to join in with Martha. And yet, she chose to sit humbly at Jesus' feet and listen to what he was offering. She was ready to receive. Why? Maybe she'd heard about his teaching or his miracles. Maybe Mary and Martha had already encountered Jesus. Maybe not. I can't help but think that just being in his presence would have been unusual in the least. Jesus had an unusual effect on people. Remember back to to Luke chapter 2. As a 12-year-old in the temple, the teachers were amazed at his understanding and wisdom. Story in John 4, woman at the well in Samaria. The woman at the well says, come see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? John chapter 6 is about, it's a really interesting chapter in that in the beginning of the chapter, Jesus is teaching and ministering to a throng of thousands of people. And that gets whittled down through the chapter until the end. When he asks Simon Peter, do you want to go too? Everybody else has left. And Simon Peter says, where am I going to go? You have words of eternal life. Whatever it was about Jesus, Mary wanted to hear what he had to say. She wanted to be with him. Surely Peter and James and John felt the same way on the Mount of Transfiguration. What about Moses and Elijah? Must have been fascinating for them to see the Christ. Must have been a palpable joy of just being able to sit at his feet and listen to his words. Mm. Mary knew things needed to be done to help Martha, but she just could not squander the opportunity to be with Christ. I'm sure she was duplicitous in her thinking, but she just had to be with him. She was determined to be with him, to soak up all that he had to give. One would say she was desperate. Are you desperate for Christ? When you wake up in the morning, does your heart yearn for that opportunity to gather alone with him? Is he your treasure? Is he the treasure of your heart? Last time I preached, months ago, out of Luke 6, Out of the treasure of our heart comes forth the fruit. 
Is Christ the treasure of your heart? Is there this drive to get to know him? Do you yearn to be in his presence? Are you desperate for that? That Mary was. What does it mean to be desperately determined? One definition of desperate is showing extreme urgency or intensity, especially because of the great need or desire. Is there an urgency and an intensity in your relationship with Christ? The urgency of the situation brings a singleness of mind. Mary had one thing in mind. I'm going to be with Jesus. She was determined to be with the Master. There was nothing to distract her determination. And that determination to pursue the good portion was rewarded. Luke uses the word, the Greek word for portion, the Greek word is merida. And it's interesting to see here the many things that Martha was doing for this meal is contrasted to the one thing, the one portion that Jesus was given. And that, unlike the meal, could never be taken from her. So, what is this good portion? What is this one necessary thing? Clearly, we serve an awesome God. He has no needs that we must fulfill for him. Paul in Acts 17, 25 makes it clear to the men of Athens that God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Our God does not need anything from us. He doesn't need our service, but we need him and his word. Paul continues with the Athenians that God himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. The one necessary thing is him and his word. Are you that desperate for Christ? Mary was. Joseph, bring up that Michael Reeves quote. Michael Reeves in his book, Rejoicing in Christ, states this. Nothing is more holy than a heartfelt delight in Christ. Nothing is so powerful to transform lives. But how can we, without hypocrisy, come to embrace Christ as our most dearly cherished treasure? Only when we sense his unfathomable love for us, how kind and merciful he is and has been, how much he has suffered for our forgiveness, how he is truly better than all the other things we run after. We love him because he first loved us. He asks how we embraced Christ as our most dearly cherished treasure. And it's by getting to know him, letting him reveal himself to us. Do you know Christ in this way? Is he your cherished treasure? 
Is your heart on fire to know him and be with him? Do you rejoice in him? This is how Christ wants you to know him. The Puritan pastor and writer John Owen, in speaking of Jesus wanting to know us and for us to feel that he knows us, wrote this. Is it up? He then communicates his mind unto his saints and them only. His mind, the counsel of his love, the thoughts of his heart, the purposes of his bosom for our eternal good. There's nothing in the heart of Christ, or there's not anything in the heart of Christ wherein these his friends are concerned that he does not reveal to them. All his love, his goodwill, the secrets of his covenant, the paths of obedience, the mystery of faith is told to them. Do we put ourselves in places to receive that? That's what we see from Mary. She said, I'm there to receive from Christ what he's giving. Bar anything. So now in our context, how do we listen to him? One commentator put it like this regarding the one necessary thing that we listen to Jesus with the full attention of a loving heart. Notice how the idea is the culmination of the entire chapter here. Luke began with the 72 being sent out, doing mighty things for Christ. But Christ emphasizes that their joy should come not from the mighty things that they did, but their joy should come from knowing that their names are written in heaven. Their joy should come from them being children of God. It should not come from the miracles. It shouldn't come from the wonderful things that happen. It should come from knowing Christ. He reveals the humility of Mary, whose eyes beheld the glory of Jesus, seeing in him what the prophets and the and kings desired to see there in verses 23 and 24 of this chapter. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see. Mary had the opportunity to see Christ, to be there with him. Hundreds of years before, men were looking for this yearning for that opportunity, and here was Mary with that opportunity. In the humility of Mary, in the lowliness of Mary, we see that he's given her the opportunity to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Last week we saw the lawyer, the lawyer wanting to be justified. What does he say? I do all those things. But his heart wasn't right. This wasn't revealed to the lawyer. 
it was revealed to the Mary in the gentleness and the lowliness of her position. Jesus becomes the focus of our attention. So how do we listen? I don't know about you, but I have, I actually, I have never audibly heard Jesus speak. Maybe you have. I doubt it. But he still speaks to us. How does he do that? We're fortunate to have the scriptures, all of scripture. You know, Paul reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, we like that, for correction, for training in righteousness. God covers it. He uses his scripture to speak to us. You know what the end result is? Tells us in verse 17 that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And as John Owen said, for our eternal good. Another way we listen is in prayer. So we listen through the scriptures, we listen in prayer. He speaks to us in prayer. I would say most of us find that hard to pray. Why? We get distracted. Our mind wanders. Because of that, prayer seems overwhelming, so we don't pray. As with most things we learn, we should learn little by little and be encouraged by the victories. When I was a surgeon in training, I learned to do the easier procedures first so that I could do the bigger procedures later. As an intern, I didn't go in and do a revision hip operation. That would have been a disaster. I got to take warts off. Repair hernias. In prayer, we oftentimes bite off more than we can chew. Um, don't try to begin being a better prayer by setting aside an hour to pray at, for, at first. Most of us would pray through all the requests that we can think of, and of all the people we know, and of that hour, we still have 50 minutes left. Be realistic. Begin with simple plans and build on that. Above all, listen to him. He often speaks as you pray through his word. I would encourage you to begin by praying through some of the Psalms. Many of the Psalms are prayers written to God. And so as we open that Bible and read through that Psalm, allow God to speak to us. These are ways that we can learn to be better prayers. Let me finish by bringing us back to the journey. Jesus had set his face toward Jerusalem. He was looking ahead to the cross. He was looking ahead to all that led up to the cross. He knew what was in store for him. 
And he knew he needed to accomplish his mission. He was going to Jerusalem to be ridiculed, flogged, beaten, and humiliated. He was going to the cross to shed his blood. To die for our redemption. He took on himself the punishment for our sin. And why? Why would he do that? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Embrace that. Speak the gospel every day to yourself. Glorify Christ in that. Be amazed by that. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you can. He wants you to. All of us who do have done this. We recognize that we're sinners. We recognize that we have a need. We got to where we thought we could meet that need through good works. No. We confessed that sin after recognizing it. Confessed that to Christ and asked for his forgiveness. Repenting of that. Repenting meaning turning away from that and heading in a different direction. All who know him confessed and repented of their sin, trusted in Christ, trusted that Christ paid the penalty for our sin, trusted that this blood that he shed for our sins covered that. We're no longer responsible for that. He took that on for us. And he's given us life eternal with him. Oh, oh, if our hearts would just yearn for him like Mary's heart did. Mary chose the one necessary thing, and you can too. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have been so gracious to us, even as we remember from your word, You so loved us that you gave your only begotten Son. Lord, let us glory in Christ. Let us fall more and more in love with him. Let us see him for who he is. Let us worship him in every task that we do. Let us not get distracted away from that primary single thing, that single focus of knowing Christ. And give us ears to hear that that he has to tell us. It's in his name we pray, amen.